0: Welcome to the One Haas alumni podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee. And today, as part of our Earth Month celebrations, we welcome Adriana Pinuela Useche. She is a chemical engineer and startup consultant who is passionate about sustainable development and protecting our planet for future generations. She's also a recent Haas EWMBA graduate, class of 2022. Welcome to the podcast, Adriana.
1: Thank you for having me here. I'm glad to be on this side of the coin.
0: For some listeners, you might have heard Adriana before. She did host our series uh, around, what was it around? Sustainability, right? Last year? Yeah. With Professor Robert Strand.
1: Robert Strand. And uh, yeah, we also interviewed like the dean and many other people, alumni and uh, students as well. So it was a ton of fun.
0: (laughs) That's right. And we got to hear other people's stories through you. And now we get to hear your story.
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's exciting.
0: Adriana, why don't we start off with my favorite question, which is tell us your origin story. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? How did
1: you grow up? Yeah, totally. So I was born in Bogotá, Colombia and lived in the outskirts of the city. So as a child, nature was a big part of my life. I remember like uh, taking cardboards and uh, jumping down like mountains of pine trees and Just hogging trees. So like, you can describe me as a, as a tree hogger, backpacker, camper, because I love all of those. What I love the most is that my parents like really developed in us a sense of we don't have to only care about nature, but also care about the community that surrounds us and to explore that through like economics. So like my dad being a mechanical engineer, thinking of many things. (laughs) And my mom, being an economist, drove those two components in our lives, and created like these building blocks that I have lived through my life, which are like community, not competition, and a, a continuous love for nature <laughs> and those in need, and, and like developing in us a, a sense of curiosity and an exploratory and an adventurous mindset. I love them for them, <laughs> for that, and like the my two sisters and I like <laughs> really live a life like close to nature and to divide nature and to like figure out ways to impact communities as well yeah and then from there like our family moved to the u.s when i was like 15 so like we lived the immigrant life like my parents living through the hard jobs of of moving to a new country and not speaking the language or any of that stuff. But they gave us the gift of letting us focus into educating ourselves and figure out how to get into a good college in order to create our paths. So that was kind of like a really essential component in our lives. And uh, like uh, just drive driven through good education as well.
0: Where did you guys move to? To Florida. To Florida. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Any reason? Like, it was a complex situation in Colombia at the time. No jobs, political unrest, and we ended up moving to the U.S. with like political asylum and all that stuff, but landed here in a world of opportunities where you can create your path. So, yeah, and now, like, we went through university, and uh, I went to the University of Florida uh, for undergrad, but with the idea, like, okay, how do I help societies and uh, at some point I was like oh going for the pre-med path and <laughs> figure like following the steps of my grand grandfather but then at the very soon I figured out that uh, my brain was wired to be more of an engineer to thinker more to like develop uh, from an economic and uh, social solutions processes that will make products at the end. so I decided to choose chemical engineer, engineering as, as as the path that I took for undergrad and uh started there with like <laughs> and that uh, took me to 11 years of working in the chemical industry for the DuPont and Dow and Cortevas so, of this world so we're, like larger chemical manufacturing and uh, like uh enrolled in operations management consulting where what was like Thinking like a lot with like design thinking ideas, so exploring that entrepreneurial instead of a corporate <laughs> side of things, and then doing a little bit of energy management and technology leadership and supply chain and quality. So like a little bit of, of a lot of the components of big corporations, <laughs> global corporations, in order to get a sense of how do industries really work. But I had a gap <laughs> in that trajectory.
0: I guess what ultimately inspired to move towards the startup side. I mean, right now you are a startup consultant uh, on top of some other roles that you're part of. You know, what What made that shift to go from DuPont to, to smaller companies?
1: Yeah, so one uh, major component like in the last five years of my journey through the corporate world was I joined Engineers Without Borders and uh, recruited my husband, Nico, who's like a, an awesome person, and and my boss to join me in this quest of, okay, how do I support environments and society around the world? And because I love traveling and cultures and helping out as much as possible. So through that, I saw that I could implement sanitation systems globally, but it was through an NGO mindset. And after watching like a, a documentary called Poverty Inc. It kind of clicked in my head that you really needed to create a system that did not depend on creating a poverty system. And by that, I mean, whenever you flow capital to provide free rice to a community that is trying to build their rice infrastructure, then you're killing that economy somehow. Right, right. So, and I'm not against NGOs, I'm just saying it has to be a better way to create an economic system. And then from there, like, OK, knowing that, if, for example, in Colombia or like what I saw in Ethiopia, there is so much innovation happening in the day to day that like trigger and align with good capital, could build an ecosystem and yeah, like a real ecosystem of entrepreneurs, but also like a uh, develop economies of, as a path. So like from there, I just went through the idea, what if I have an MBA that can like pivot my career into more of the business side, create, like, continue loving, continue developing the technologies that I love because I'm a, an engineer at heart, and no matter what. <laughs> and, like, connect those two worlds in the early stage entrepreneurial, fast pace innovation space that could, like, potentially transform systems and technologies not only here and in the developing developed economy, but also in the developing economy. So, like, how do you enact change in those three in the cake of sustainability, which is a concept that I really love? Like, you have a three-layer cake. There's the biosphere, the ecosystem. There's the society, and there's the economic development, right? So, like, through the UN SDGs, you can have those goals of like, oh, zero poverty or climate change or many other things. But how do you incorporate them in a way that is like structural and systemic that can really create? real value for more than just the few societies. So that can push me into like, okay, the early stage space, moving fast, creating change, enacting change for system itself.
0: Sorry, let me repeat that. So the three layers of the cake, one's the biosphere, right? Then you said there's the economic system. What, What was the third layer of the cake?
1: So society. So like you have the environment, the has its limitations in order to be able to have us on Earth. Climate, <laughs> the water, uh, the land, or, yeah, life on land, li- life on uh, water. And we have to protect those in order to be able to live on this Earth, right?
0: Right, right. From that
1: you have, like, society. So, like, society, you have to provide to all citizens, like, a means to create a living, right? So, like... Proper food, or proper education, or no poverty. Dive into creating economies of systems that that really create innovation and create electrification and create all of those that are gonna engage in developing. The economic plan. So like, yeah, this concept was something that I ran into like early on in my past career and and it has been with me, stuck with me because like it is a systemic view on how change can last.
0: That's really interesting. And I, I guess if you were to take your pick, which area do you feel like is most pressing in terms of what, where, which area, I don't all areas need innovation, but which area of innovation are you more interested in focusing on
1: for this one i will go to like one of the professors that i had that, that gave me a challenge and said okay adriana you have to think or like for anyone like you thing to do an exercise so there's 17 unsdgs united nations sustainable development goals right which are like problems that are social and environmental and huge gigantic like wicked problems out of those 17, you have to choose one to be your driver and maybe have a couple supporters, SDGs. So after a lot of exploration, I decided that the climate change is the space that I can the most in because of my background and knowledge in the heavy industry. So like the carbon decarbonizing that heavy industry. So I have the technology basis, right? And then from my passion <laughs> into like the topic of engineering and enacting changing in, in um, the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial ecosystem. I think that does kind of like a secondary space that I could drive in because of my fast-paced, hopeful, <laughs> values-driven nature of, okay, there is opportunity and there is possibility into innovation. And with my curiosity path into like, okay, what could work? What can be a potential aspect in a technology that can enact that change so yeah like wicked problems probably succeed everywhere but that's kind of like the ones that really align my past experiences with my drive with my values <laughs> and uh, with uh, what I want to live like uh, like as uh, someone uh, a coach told me once like okay what would your daughter say about you <laughs> in 20 years from now 10 years from now Will they be excited? Like, what do you think they'd be excited about? And what do you want them to be excited about? About your what legacy that you left behind? So, like, to me, make a difference in climate. Also, <laughs> for the fact that we don't have more than one Earth. <laughs> And the IPCC reports, or like the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, tells us that if we don't act right now, we're going to be pretty much doomed because <laughs> we cannot live in this earth. So it creates a, a sense of urgency to pick that as my guiding UNSDG.
0: I guess the question I have, because you brought up the economic layer of this cake, right? Is that how can we balance economic growth with environmental sustainability? What are some of your ideas and thoughts?
1: So I remember when I started at in one of our classes in, um, I think like advanced leadership or leadership communications at the beginning, we're talking about the GDP as index of success or index of growth, economic growth and all that stuff. And I kept asking the professor, like, why do we only look at economic growth as success if like success, in my view? is represented as a path towards happiness. In a sense, like a path towards happiness is finding a society that can coexist, that has nature, that has an ability to thrive in many ways and many worlds. And now, like since 2019, since I started the program until now, there has been so much change in the ESG space of the environmental social governance Space uh, with the SEC passing new regulations and the IRA, so like the Inflation Reduction Act coming to life and having Biden sign it off for like climate action and electrification of society. So, like, that provides a lot of the backing that society is realizing that GDP cannot be the only way for us to manage an economy and to grow because we depend on resources. So, for example, lithium is maxed out right now and you have to figure out ways to create lithium or like find lithium or recycle lithium from batteries. Um, What do you mean lithium is
0: maxed out? Sorry, I just as a lay person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like the battery ecosystem or the electrification ecosystem depends a lot into like the amount of storage of energy that you have. And a lot of the batteries that exist today are lithium ion batteries and we're extracting. As much as we can from the earth right now, but there are limitations into how much you can extract. And uh, there are like new paths into, okay, like how do we recycle a lot of the batteries that are obsolete (laughs) or in order to extract those minerals again? So, like, starting to think in a GDP basis with a expanded view, in, okay, how do we treat earth? How do we treat those workers that are extracting the minerals from the earth and create a, like a more of a systemic view, like larger view to a society that is just not depending on a on one index <laughs> really evolves beyond and makes money <laughs> along the way. So yeah, so balancing all those aspects and figuring out that our society the same goes for DEI, like, right? So, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, if we can all participate in innovation, if we can all participate in, a, in an equitable future, we all have voices and we can expand the gold pockets because we are creating solutions for everyone, not just for few. Because, <laughs> like, more people are going to be buying more products that are aligned to themselves. If we create a more of a conscious and expanded way of seeing innovation and climate transitions and and other things of that sort.
0: This might be a tough question. And I tend to ask a lot of loaded questions that sometimes don't have direct answers. But how do you suggest or how do you recommend founders or companies going about keeping that balance, right? Of some people say it's hard enough to start a company, Right and prioritize your I guess your company's survivability, right? Profitability. How do you recommend founders think about building companies where they are accounting for all these other factors in a manageable way?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, it can be a I heavy lift to think beyond, okay, economically, is it possible or not? But then like if you start like when you create a company, we start With the definition of like, what is your vision and how do you see the values in your organization? So, like, how do you create values that are involving everyone? What is your hiring strategy that involves more than people that look like yourself? How are you thinking of like not only a diverse workforce, but people with different knowledge spaces and bringing in maybe like someone that really believes in the sustainability aspect of your technology because usually the founders really believe in the technology aspect of the process so like finding the ways and the aspects that are that bring them into sustainability so for example if you're thinking of a cpg product then. In healthcare, for example, I was talking to a person yesterday who developed the Diva Cup for menstrual period for women, so like (laughs) Femtech, and bringing the the aspect of okay sustainability into that product. So it is not specifically the carbonization technology, right, if you think of it from the beginning, but if you start thinking of it like, okay, if I use a polymer that is bio-based, that is derived from non-oil and gas, then... I have a factor into the sustainability and climate economy. So like from creating a product to creating the strategy of that product to creating the governance space around your system is important. Your your startup, it's important to start thinking of that strategy from the start, because if you don't have it from the start, it's hard to like push back that culture into something else. So. Yeah. And and now as well, at least like what I have been seeing from climate investors is that they have metrics that are not only going towards how many greenhouse gases (laughs) are you uh, saving, but also like how are you developing your systems in order to create an environmental, a social impact and a governance structure around your organization from see the Series A startup situation. And that's already happening even in the European space. So like European VCs are, have structures and frameworks for their startups to start developing those concepts from the start. So I feel like it is essential. It is something that founders need to start with. Not a, it's not only a solution that is technical, but also it is a solution that, has to be grounded in, in today's society.
0: I think it took me a little bit to understand what you meant by climate change needs to be performed systemically, right? And I finally get it. And I think if I were to kind of reiterate your answer, it's that as founders, we just need to challenge ourselves and challenge the ideas and companies that we build more. Don't take the easy way out, continue to challenge ourselves at every point, at every decision point to make better decisions. And these better decisions are also, as our culture is evolving, it should be culturally and socially driven as well, right? To be more environmentally conscious, to include, like you said, think about better materials, right? Using better materials and culturally or not culturally, like financially use better materials because you know down further down the line, your customers are going to care that you care and that they're willing to pay right, for that push. And it's just really going about it with a really conscious and intentional path. That's the best way to describe it. Because I guess the reason I'm reiterating all this and saying this all loud is because the question I had was, you know, how do we avoid just greenwashing or just doing things just because it makes us look better? Just
1: more, like, you don't want to just set more or look better, like, on paper, it is one way, but then in reality, like, are you really making a difference?
0: Yeah, and and, because sometimes, like, I do, like, I bought a bag of chips the other day, on the back of the chips, it says, oh, we're, like, 100% renewable energy, and I'm like, that's a bag of chips, it doesn't matter, but then I was like, oh, maybe maybe their impact is pretty big and you know i guess what i'm trying to say is it just came to me as a surprise and i'm sometimes it makes you wonder like are they just greenwashing it right <laughs> it's insane just to say it just as a marketing thing but what you're saying too is that i think what you mean by systemic change is that part of that is okay because we're making it we're popularizing that it's good to be environmentally conscious at every step along the way
1: right yeah and to a certain extent like it is Lisa- said. Duty of a of an entrepreneur, of a leader, like business leader, to like think beyond like just making money, I feel. Because in a way, like you have your customers that are, and your financial backers <laughs> as well. Like they're believing in you. So like uh, yeah, if you think of the materiality of a bag of chips or like the materiality or like uh, how do you evaluate your choices are the best choices for what you know as of today how do you know like that your choice is the right choice and not we think of like sustainability careers as one thing like someone that has a title sustainable something or like someone that is kind of, like in, involved in a climate startup and that's sustainable or something like that but everyone has the like a path within that sustainability job like within their job it is their choice to choose a material in order to build a product why don't you choose like product one versus product two that has more like a better sustainability profile like is it a polymer made out of the co2 from the air (laughs) from the air or is it like coming from oil and gas so like if you have a choice will you go one or the other way for a reason, and in order to, for, you, for all of us to live in this earth, because you cannot only think about your generation, but like one, two, or three generations down the line. And so, your grandkids, like when you think of your grandkids, be able to live in, on this earth the same way as you are today, or like think beyond yourself.
0: It's interesting to bring this up because I never considered this until this conversation just now, where, you know, as a, I don't know, what am I, a millennial? I think I'm a millennial. As I feel like, a, you know, as a leader of the last generation, even in my head, when we try to make business decisions towards more sustainable goals, it's, it always sounded like extra costs, right? It sounds like extraneous costs, or it's going to be more costly than another decision, right? That is status quo. But what you're helping me realize too, and this is the s- systemic change, is that over time, as more leaders make that better decision, it's going to bring down the cost of that better decision right, of that new technology. And that's just a positive cycle of change.
1: That makes me think that it goes, yeah, as business leaders, we have a duty in that sense, but like it goes both ways, like from the policy perspective, like from the top down approach, like policies coming along in order to get subsidies or remove like subsidies in a different way because like oil and gas today like super extremely subsidized so that's why it's cheap to use polymers that are based off oil and gas versus polymers that are bio-derived at the moment but then like if policy changes and in, if new like from the top down and then from the bottom up if new technologies emerge that are able to like have a unit economics that is strong, then the competition really begins. So it is like a solar nowadays, like it is extremely, it is much cheaper than energy for, from non renewables. But we landed here after 10 years of, and uh, the Cleantech 1.0 in the 2009 or 2000s. Early 2000s, and now we are in this stage where it's cheaper and the decisions can be made in order for people to choose in a different way. So, like, it should be seamless in a way, but with consciousness at the same time.
0: And I'm um, even changing kind of my perspective that the additional cost is actually not a cost. It's we have to think of it as an investment in the future. Yeah, and they're very worthwhile investments. So that's really interesting. You know, I had a, again, sorry to go on a tangent, I have a really random question, but you talk a lot about economics and sustainability. A question that I've always had, and I don't know if you can help me answer this, is economic security in the sense that, you know, a lot of governments, based on what I've heard or read before, they hold on to certain things, let's say oil and gas, because of security. How do we move past that?
1: That's a big challenge, right? But that makes me think of um, that, for example. So Orsted is a, was an oil and gas uh, operations in the Nordic, in Denmark. And uh, they decided to transform their business model into a fully renewable system. So like they got rid of almost all of their oil and gas um, because they wanted to transform and be the number one sellers of offshore wind uh, and now they're getting into like onshore wind and uh, many other things in just uh, in a matter of 10 years so it is a matter they still hold a little bit of oil and gas reserves for economic security but uh, i feel like their path will be continuously change as they progressively have more business into one sector versus the other but like it takes the transformation and a timely transformation for governments to go from one end to the other to like prove the systems. But then like beyond that, there is more of the energy wars and the economic side of things that, I don't know, yeah, they're complicated, they're complex and I cannot comment at this point. On that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, no, that, that, that example helps me see it better. I mean, it's, it's about making long-term investments. Towards different forms of security is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Three years, five years, 10 years is like a long run. Yeah, I feel like the transformation will take maybe four years or so, like in order to like reduce down our dependency, because like everything is on gas right now. Like everything that we build, all the products that we have, all the polymers around us, all the like the textiles that are made out of polymers, the rocks around you, or anything around you, like maybe ninety ninety five percent already is dependent on on gas. So like, how do you make a transformation? a social systemic transformation in a society that has been built under oil and gas, right? So like it takes time to come up with new technologies. It takes time to come up with or the technologies may exist already, but like it takes time to expand them. It takes time to make them into mass markets for them to be a choice for, uh, for, for it to make it economic for everyone's choice. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. All right. Since we're on the topic of kind of new technologies of sorts, right? And you are an investor in new technologies and <laughs> in startups. I'm really curious, what are some promising solutions or technologies that you are excited about that you see?
1: Yeah. So climate change has many verticals or so like at least seven that I can think of. And you can go in many tangents in terms of technologies so that could be essential, right? So like in terms of what is essential, you know, to reduce the greenhouse gases immediately? So you have nature-based solutions that, like, if you so, if you think of the air has greenhouse gases uh, that have been emitted for years. Like, about fifty percent of the earth's um, uh, greenhouse gases have been balanced by like water and trees <laughs> or like land. But then we have put a lot more. So, like, the anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions are created by humans for, the like, during the past, I don't know, 100 years since the industrialization, right? So, we need to have solutions that are, like, enhancing the nature-based solutions. So, yeah, so, for example, like, uh, there is one company that is uh, enhancing uh, photosynthesis in a way so that you can get more CO2 absorbed. So that those are like solutions that are kind of like, oh, that's super cool. How can we measure it? It's a little bit of a challenge, but they are interesting solutions. So like a biomass capturing to create. So like Charm Industrials is creating like really cool oil out of biochar. So and they inject it back into the what used to be oil reservoirs or <laughs> things of that sort. Right. So that those are technologies that are kind of like bio-based uh, and engineering nature. But uh, I really like transformations that are really create an economic benefit as we go along as well. And by that, okay, let's take, for example, Mars Materials, which is a company that I have been supporting for the past year. And uh, what they're doing is getting CO2 from the air and creating polymers out of that. So, like, if you divert the oil and gas dependency of polymer creation by getting the CO 2 from the air, from the atmosphere, then it makes a difference. It is not a super rapid <laughs> implementation because they need to create a ton of manufacturing. <laughs> and, uh, like, it is a heavy industry, but it is one that if you are combining that and CCUS, so carbon capture and storage and utilization, and a director capture in order to create a path for like an economic benefit. I think those are interesting propositions, right? So there are companies that are used doing a lot of polymer changes or for new materials or like electrolysis systems in order to create new products from fuel for airplanes to, yeah, any polymer or fragrance or like things that, that you can think of. So I love those technologies because I come from that industry as well. So like seeing a transformation in the industry really excites me because it creates a change that is transformational in society. So that we don't like changing behavior. Human behavior is hard, right? So like if you, <laughs> if you change the product that you reimagine it and re- recreate it by capturing that CO2 into products, then it creates a, a circ- more of a circular economy in a way. So that's super exciting to me.
0: <laughs> how, if you were to take a wild guess, how far along are we from that? From being able to, you know, just capture the CO2 if efficiently, effectively, and then converting it into products? At a scale? <laughs> Sorry?
1: At a scale, it is 10 years out, I don't think. Like at a pilot level and uh, getting into like supply chains from the incumbents in the market for testing products and all, maybe like in the next five years, but at a, at a very small scale. But there are companies that are going faster, there are others that are not going as as fast with different kinds of technologies. Yeah. Yeah. Between like five and 20 years, it can happen.
0: uh, That's very promising. That's very exciting. I'm not a chemical engineer, uh, of course. (laughs) So I have to ask you how hard is it to do this and how complicated is it? And I ask this because with my very basic high school understanding of chemistry, it's just like moving atoms around, right? (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, that's not the case. Like, is it, yeah, how hard is this? To figure out and to to do,
1: I feel like the technology is figurable because <laughs> there's a lot of people getting PhDs left and right, or really cool scientists or technologies that are coming from our national labs and uh, that are creating like revolutionary change. Technology exists, but I feel like the cap is finding that technology, empowering it with good business models, and empowering it with the right flow of capital in order to. Because it's was very capital intensive in order to like scale this up and having that knowledge to scale that up and change industry. Okay, like maybe people in oil and gas or in the chemical industry already have the knowledge. So attract that talent in order to expand from one to 10 these technologies into like massive scales and having the financials behind it. So having the full capital stack behind it that can support not only the new technology discovery and development and innovation, but like can make it into everyone's products and with a massive scale.
0: That makes sense. And also probably the improvement in our infrastructure and energy capture and uh, and things like that to to make these things happen. It, because it reminds me of desalination of water, right? We know how to do it. It just really energy intensive and i think both financially and environmentally it doesn't make any sense to do it yet
1: yeah and policy and systems like i feel like it is the technologies are out there the technologies exist or maybe they just have to be tweaked a little bit in order to like create that a magic bullet but then it is kind of like the system the policies then the business models that need to be contributing to a change in in the commodity market and where the margins are not gigantic. Or like, yeah, in the infrastructure, that is thought to be only a matter of like the government creating that infrastructural change. But like now, like the private sector has to jump in and start providing more support on, on that angle. So it is like that scale up and rapid growth that is necessary and that know-how of rapid growth that is necessary to be transformed from one industry kind to another.
0: I have one more tough question for you, and you don't have to answer this (laughs) if, if you don't want to, but as an investor, what do you like to see more? Like, Which do you prefer more? Do you like to see environmental or climate tech that is incrementally improving, or do you like to invest in Climate tech that is jumping leaps and bounds. And I ask this question because I'm curious how you think about obviously impact, right? And the balance and the trade off between obviously something that's near term and something that's long term.
1: So I'm not an active investor right now, but uh, I have been supporting startups to help them connect with investors one day. One day I want to be part of the investing community. Uh, itself, so like that's that's one item to to get out. But then just thinking, like you have to think like portfolio. So like I really want to focus on big systemic change that can do a modification of the system itself. But then you need to balance it out for the LPs uh, and the the people that are putting the money in. Balance it out with like short incremental. Change as well. We cannot get to point B if we jump too many hoops with point A. So, like, to me, yeah, ideally, in a world like where we can change immediately the source of polymers from air versus like the oil and gas, would be like a significant change. But then, like, you have to have steps along the way in order to attract the talent, in order to like modify industries to get there and bring people along with you so like it is not a matter of just putting the money into like the bigger industrial heavy industry and that's it unless they're going to grow super fast without the infrastructure they will not so we have to balance it out with like smaller changes that are going to activate that space so industrials heavy industries for example need supporting systems and, and electrification to happen ahead of time. So if you have electric systems with like big batteries or like an Antoria to create the steam that the industry needs, you know, for you to be able to make the polymer because you need the steam and electricity at the same time, then you have those stages of technology that need to be infrastructurally available for you to get to point B. So, yeah, like in in an ideal world, (laughs) And you can, like, just take your magic wand, like, in straight and leapfrogging. Technical changes is best in order to, like, not use resources, but then the infrastructure has to be present in order for you to be there.
0: Makes sense. It's shooting for the stars and landing on the moon. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, which makes a lot of sense. I think that's the right way to think about it. No, that's awesome. Adriana, anything else that you want to talk about that I didn't ask you?
1: So, I guess from the... Climb from the alumni community. We have been starting the Has Sustainability Has Alumni Club, or yeah, Alumni Association, where we are creating a space for us to be the umbrella organization that connects knowledge for alumni to learn about sustainability, for uh, alumni that are uh, very well versed in the sustainability sector, to alumni that are new into sustainability and <laughs> don't know much with the idea that like okay we are connecting people to organizations that exist within us because we want to like uh, have an effort in, in being a student always right students of sustainability students of change of creating like of transforming our future and our ecosystem so i just wanted to welcome everyone in the alumni community at HAS to join us in this effort, uh, like we just kicked it off, and and we're pretty excited. It is sustainability and climate. <laughs> we, as we want to put an emphasis on, on both, which are part of each other <laughs> in a way. But we just wanted to welcome everyone. So, like Christina Karen, and JP Young and I kick started like last week. And uh, yeah, so we just wanted to welcome you for you to join us our LinkedIn channel and uh, for you to, to participate and uh, be part of this alumni change.
0: That's amazing. We'll definitely share that information in the description for this episode. And also we'll share Adriana's LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out to her. Well, Adriana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and speaking with us. Really appreciate your time.
1: No, thank you so much, Sharon. It was really fun. It made me think through some of these questions. So, thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fn. That's spelled H-A-A-S.fm. And there you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. One Haas podcast is a production of the Haas School of Business and produced by University FM. Until next time, go Bears!